It's Chet Hanks versus Takashi 69 and I think we all lose. The White House is reportedly pushing the CDC to say fewer people have died of the coronavirus. And we have Elise Hoag, the president of NARAL, with us to talk about how states are using the coronavirus as a way to limit access to abortion. The date, May 13th, 2020. The time, news o'clock. Hey, everyone. I'm Hayes Brown. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to News O'Clock. Okay, before we dive in, we've been staying at home for a while now, and does it feel like your grocery bill is higher than normal? Hayes, I don't know what's going on. I'm spending an obscene amount on, on groceries. It's like upsetting me, and I constantly have to tell myself, okay, you're not going out to bars and drinking. Mm-hmm. You're saving money that way. Right. But like, it, I'm spending a lot, a lot on groceries, and sometimes I'm like, I, I don't know. It's too much. I know, but I agree with you. And it's not just you. You're not imagining it. Everyone, this is everyone, is paying more for groceries right now. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, people were paying 2.6% more in April for their groceries compared to March. That's the biggest jump in prices since 1974. That includes paying 4.3% more for meats, poultry, fish, and eggs. And this just seems like it's really bad timing. Really bad timing for the prices of food to be going up when people are losing their jobs. Yeah, it does seem like that's really bad news, especially because I don't feel like I'm the 2.6 or 4.3%. I feel like I'm 20% right now. So it's not going great. It's not going great. Okay, I think that's (laughs) a very solid pivot to take us to the Corona update for the day. Here are three things you need to know. One, the California State University system will move to online-only classes through the rest of the year. CSU is by far the biggest university system in the country, with almost 500,000 undergrad students across 23 campuses. Chancellor Timothy White said that he made the decision because of worries about a second wave of the coronavirus hitting right around the time students would be returning to campus. That order was announced on the heels of California officials saying that the state stay-at-home orders may be extended for up to another three months, putting it in July. I just really think that a lot of people are getting to the point where at first it was about like surviving and this pandemic, doing puzzles where you can get through it. There's an end date. And it's like there's not an end date right now. And people are really having to adjust and make like real choices and changes that are affecting so many people. Right. And if there's one thing we can trust the American people to do, it's make good choices. (laughs) All right. Number two. Former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort got let out of prison early because of coronavirus concerns. Manafort is 71 years old, and he was sentenced to seven years in prison last year after prosecutors tagged him for dodging taxes and other financial crimes. But on Tuesday morning, he was switched over to finishing out a sentence in house arrest. His lawyers argue that his age and prior conditions make him a high risk for catching COVID-19, even though there have been no reported cases at the facility where he was being held. Former Trump lawyer Michael Cohen has also pushed to be released from prison. His request, though, was denied, despite there being several cases where he's being held for tax evasion and campaign finance violations. Meanwhile, there are at least 20,000 people who have tested positive for coronavirus in prisons around the country, according to the Marshall Project. So my question is then, are other people who are in that age demographic also getting the chance to be released from prison early? Or is it just these high profile people with very good lawyers? I wish I had a better answer for you, Casey, but I think you know it's just <sighs> the high profile people. All right. And three. 
The White House reportedly doesn't like how the CDC is counting coronavirus deaths and is asking them to please maybe make those numbers lower. As of Tuesday morning, there were 82,000 confirmed coronavirus deaths in the United States. But according to the Daily Beast, President thinks that the CDC is being a bit too generous with their tallies. To that effect, the White House is pushing the CDC to maybe take out some of those deaths where we're not really sure if coronavirus was the cause, or labs have not confirmed that coronavirus was the cause of death. The CDC, thankfully, is pushing back. Yeah, thankfully they're pushing back. I also love that like this isn't like a secret. Like we know that the White House is asking them to change the numbers, and we're all just sitting here going, like, dude, we can see you. <laughs> right. Thanks to reporting. Shout out Daily Beast for getting that great scoop. <laughs> All right, it's time for today's good news, bad news. This is where I bring you some of the most awe and most, oh my God, no stories from around the internet. Good news, the last few months have reminded people that riding bikes is actually pretty great. A story in The Guardian shows that in the last month and a half, the number of people biking in the U.S. has gone up a ton, as much as doubling in the Southwest. People haven't really been driving much at all, as seen by the fact that traffic deaths have plummeted. But as more places open up and with cramming into public transportation questionable, biking to and from work has seen an upsurge. I actually get that because I've seen people like renting city bikes here in New York and I'm like, you know, that seems pretty nice. And without the worry that I will fall into traffic and die, I feel like I'm more likely to ride a bike than I have been in a minute. No, I've definitely like friends have been texting me like they're riding bikes. I also think like I had some friends that rode their bike all the way to the beach, not to be on the beach. Of course, they are uh, following (laughs) their following guidelines. But to go back, I mean, obviously, it's just a great way to, to exercise and to get all your angst out right now. I unfortunately cannot bike because one, I don't have a bike. Two, my hill is so large that there's no way Mm. that even if I did have a bike, I could get up it. (laughs) I I remember my dad loves telling the story of his first attempts at me getting getting me to ride a bike. We had an alleyway back behind our house in D.C. And the way he tells it, I would be on my bike, sands, training wheels, and I would purposefully steer into a comfortable area fencing where I knew I could fall over <laughs> rather than actually trying hard enough to keep going. I would just like ride forward a little after he let go and then veer left into the fence where I knew I'd be safe. I love that. And it explains so much about you. So much Hayes insight happening right now. (laughs) Glad to provide. (laughs) All right. On to the bad news. There's a feud between Takashi 6ix9ine and Tom Hanks' son. And I think we're rooting for Takashi here. The rainbow-haired, face-tatted SoundCloud rapper went to jail last year after snitching on his former gang in exchange for a later jail sentence. He was released in April and was put into home arrest because of coronavirus concerns. And then over the weekend, he got on Instagram Live and two million people watched as he defended turning on his old crew. If there is a street code, right, if there is a street code and there's something so so called as loyalty and everything and no snitching and all of that, I get it. Right. But where was the loyalty when you were sleeping with my baby mother? Where was the loyalty when you was caught on the wiretap trying to kill me? Where was the loyalty when you tried to kidnap my mother? Where was the loyalty when you were stealing millions of dollars from me? Where was that? Well, Chet Hanks, who is something of a rapper himself, did not appreciate this. He put on his Insta story that Takashi is, quote, scared shitless, but has no choice but to laugh and make light of it because he knows he's a marked man for the rest of his life either way. In response, Takashi 69 simply responded with, 
wishing his dad a speedy recovery. I... The story is the worst. <laughs> Everyone is bad in the story, except Tom Hanks, who, again, all of us are hoping that he's just fine post-corona. But wow, don't make me root for Takashi. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why Chet got himself involved with this. It seems like an odd one to have to, like, talk about. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like Chet is trying to go for some street cred, I guess, by punching at Takashi 69 and he feels safe doing so, is my guess. I, I just can't wait to see these two post-Rona out in the streets duking it out poorly, I'm sure. Oh my god, no, see, but that's when Chet wouldn't do it. He's probably feel safe behind his computer in this <laughs> pandemic when you're on lockdown. <laughs> Oh, man, we're going to get so many diss tracks about people trying to start smoke while in lockdown. Like, all right, I'll see you when this pandemic's over. (laughs) Exactly. All right, when we come back, we've got NARAL pro-choice president Elise Hogue. Stay right there. it we're tired of hearing new year new you fat burning secrets and lose weight fast the only thing you need to lose is self-doubt the body you're in deserves respect love and support support you're not getting from your current sports bra it's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market it's time to feel real support from she fit save ten dollars today at shefit.com 2022 From Cavalry Audio comes the new true crime podcast, The Shadow Girls. I always wanted to know what it felt like to kill somebody. And he started laughing. Prosecutors described him as a serial killer savant, picking up these girls, getting them in a position of vulnerability. When he got a hold of their neck, that was it. I'm Carolyn Osorio, a journalist and lifelong resident of the Pacific Northwest. I grew up near the banks of the Green River and in the shadow of the killer, that bears its name. How many times did you bring the camera to one the One time. Just one time. one time. He started fantasizing about having sex with his mother. Then he fantasized about killing her. But this podcast isn't only about tracking down the killer. It's about the victims. We stayed in the woods. He always liked to go to the woods. She was just, to all of us, kind of strange. Do you know how he feels about prostitutes? Listen to The Shadow Girls on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Open to all teams and players, the NFL's Inspire Change Initiative acknowledges the ways that systemic racism contributes to barriers to opportunity and equality and focuses on ongoing efforts on creating progress in the areas of education, economic advancement, community and police relations, and criminal justice reform. To learn more about the NFL's commitment to ensuring a more equal and just future, text NFLIC to 635-635. It takes all of us to advance social justice. As the coronavirus pandemic swept the country, governors everywhere ordered businesses closed and people to stay apart. But some states have opted to target one specific method to prevent the spread of the virus, blocking women from getting abortions. We've got Elise Hogue here to talk to us about it. She's the president of NARAL Pro-Choice, the country's oldest pro-choice group. Elise, thank you for joining us. Yeah, it's great to be here, Casey and Hayes. Thanks for having me. Of course. So the other day you had a tweet that read, in Arkansas, new law requires a negative COVID test within 48 hours of a scheduled appointment to be able to get an abortion. 
Also in Arkansas, you cannot get a COVID test if you are asymptomatic and no one is turning tests around in 48 hours. Seems like a perfect catch-22 there, right? <laughs> it is. In fact, it was designed to be a perfect catch-22. Um, I should tell your listeners that the ACLU is currently litigating this restriction. But, you know, Arkansas is no stranger to trying to put obstacles in front of people who are trying to terminate pregnancies. And, you know, as we keep saying, as we watch these red state governors move, there's no crisis that they can't see opportunity in when it comes to oppressing women's rights and um, trying to control us. And we've seen this at not only in Arkansas, but in states like Ohio, my home state of Texas. They just didn't even skip a beat when COVID hit to really zero in on women who needed reproductive health care. So these states that have been trying to limit access to abortion during the pandemic, what sort of justifications have they been given? Like what sort of reasonings have they said that this is something that you cannot do during this time? Well, I should preface this answer by saying two things. One is my team did a Venn diagram to compare the states that tried to ban abortion in the normal legislative sessions of 2019 and the ones trying to do so through COVID. And it wasn't a Venn diagram at all. It was a perfect circle. So these are the exact same states trying to do something through a different means than they couldn't accomplish otherwise. And the other caveat I will say before I tell you what these public officials are saying is I hate repeating disinformation. That is what we call it. It's medical disinformation. But I will do it as long as I say disinformation at the beginning and at the end. So your listeners don't get confused. The Officials involved in their sort of exploitation of COVID to restrict access to abortion have claimed everything from it is not essential healthcare, you know, which everyone who knows anything about the procedure knows it's quite time sensitive and essential if you need to get it. They started with outlandish claims that were so immediately disproven that they kind of backpedaled on them, like abortion providers were hoarding PPE that was needed at nearby medical facilities, immediately disproven. The good news is that the Arkansas law that was passed was actually in a weird way an admission of defeat, right? Because what we saw in the early states that tried to ban abortion using the medical disinformation is that the courts were not agreeing, the public outcry was deafening to the point that they were risking political capital and political future. So the Arkansas law was actually a pivot off of those early talking points grounded in disinformation to try a different tack. You mentioned that the ACLU is litigating the Arkansas case. Is there any chance this reaches the Supreme Court? I mean, there's always a chance that any of these cases will reach the Supreme Court. The one that was headed for the Supreme Court was the Texas case. And again, the outcry was so, so loud and fast there that what we saw is as it was wending its way through the courts, Governor Abbott there was just feeling the pressure so hard that he actually overrode his own executive order with a new one that restored access to abortion. I mean, one of the things people get confused about because the radical right is so noisy is that, in fact, America is a majority pro-choice country. Seven in 10 Americans believe in legal access to abortion. Support for Roe is at a historic high, climbing to almost 80%. So these governors that are attempting these actions are doing so against public opinion, even in red states like Texas. And, you know, as their actions become increasingly exposed, um, they 
feel it. They get pain for it. So do we have any data, though, on what kind of effect this set of orders that have come down have had on women these last few months? Because terminating a pregnancy, that's the sort of thing where it seems like you can't really wait for a pandemic to be over before you move forward. Precisely, Hayes. And if you talk to these clinicians and doctors who care deeply about their patients, the stories are just heartrending. You know, it's really, really difficult to be in the situation of needing to end a pregnancy for whatever reason you need to. And, you know, sort of feeling like the goalposts are being moved every day. And some of these states already had nearly impossible obstacles in place. And so we don't have enough information. You know, most of those studies take a really long time and the pandemic is still relatively new. But what we do know from historical data is that increased restrictions on abortion services have terrible public health implications. You know, there was a researcher in, again, my home state of Texas, whose research was admitted into the Supreme Court when they were hearing a clinic closure law. And it demonstrably proved that the public health in Texas was suffering as a result of these restrictions. And that was in 2016. We had a different court, but they decided in favor of the clinics, in favor of the women who needed abortion services at that time. Going off of that, do you think this pandemic will pave the way for making it easier to restrict or outright ban abortions? You know, it's an interesting question, Casey. I think that what we're seeing is, in fact, quite the opposite. There had been growing awareness across the country since um, President Trump's election and throughout the legislative sessions where abortion bans have become quite common that this is a crisis. It's a crisis in reproductive health care. But more than that, it's a constitutional crisis in freedom for more than half the population. And really, as the agenda has become increasingly sharply and to focus for most Americans, they don't like what they're seeing. They don't think that this is about health care. They don't actually think it's about anything but trying to control women. And so if anything, we've seen the pendulum swing in the other direction. And there's a really interesting case study right now because telemedicine has become all the rage, right? Like nobody wants to go anywhere. They don't have to go. So, hey, you call up your doctor if you have a minor ailment and they try and consult with you over the phone. Well, as the sort of attempts to ban abortion have collided with the booming effort in telemedicine, people are learning that for years telemedicine has been banned in many states in the case of medication abortion, which is early termination of pregnancy, can be done safely at home by taking two pills. But one of the ways that the anti-choice right has tried to limit that option is by specifically targeting abortion as a place where you cannot do telemedicine against all scientific evidence that it's perfectly safe. And so I think that growing awareness and the growing outcry that we've seen, again, since 2016, but really through the course of 2019, when we saw these bans sweep the nation, you know, the pendulum is swinging the other way and elections have consequences. And that's what we're looking towards in 2020. Well, Elise, thank you so much for joining us today and talking us through everything. I have loved being here and thank you guys for your excellent coverage of the news. It's time for The List, because if you know BuzzFeed at all, you know how much we love lists. And today we're looking at five movies that kind of tanked at the box office before becoming total classics. Number one, Matilda. Any multiplication, whether it's two times seven or 13 times 379. 4,927. Wow. 
Number two, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Take a look and you'll see into your imagination. Number three, Hocus Pocus. Number four, Fight Club. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. What? I want you to hit me as hard as you can. And number five, Almost Famous. I am a golden god! Hey, Russell, don't jump. And you can tell Rolling Stone magazine that my last words were, I'm on drugs. All right, so of those, I got to say, the one I'm least surprised by is Hocus Pocus, uh, apparently, because I don't remember it coming out because I was very small, but it was released in July with the thinking that kids will be out of school. They'll want to go see this halloween movie. That is my favorite fun fact. It's my favorite fun fact. I'm like, they decided to release a Halloween movie in July, and I just think it's like, like, literally, like, not only is it just like Halloween, like, it is so fall. Like, there's, there's just the foliage in it, the wind, the comfy sweaters, the heavy coats. I'm like, why? Why in July? So also uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, that movie, I can see the audience is not really getting it. Apparently their budget mm. was $3 million. They earned $4 million at the box office. So yeah, that's a pretty solid flop. Yeah. And yeah, it, and it's, it is a flop. And I guess it's just surprising because it's like such a classic, but you know, I guess at the time they weren't ready for it. <laughs> They weren't ready for Gene Wilder <laughs> taking you on a mushroom-inspired trip down a tunnel of hallucinogens. I, the people just weren't ready. Luckily, thanks to VHSs and drugs, we got the chance to experience it as it was meant to be experienced. Exactly. You can read the whole list, 17 movies that were a massive box office flop on BuzzFeed.com, the internet website. Okay, we have time for one more thing. And today it's a kid in Boca Raton, Florida, who I want to be as cool as when I grow up. What did this mini Florida man do to earn your praise? Okay, basically, this 10-year-old figured out that he could hack into the account of any other student in in the entire school system. Yep, that is pretty praiseworthy. (laughs) How did this kid manage to do that? Okay, so this story comes from Boca News Now, which is a website run as a hobby by former journalist Andrew Colton, and here's how he explained it. Monday, a 10-year-old proved to BocaNewsNow.com that he was able to log into an unrelated six-year-old's account with the permission of that student's parent. The 10-year-old was given nothing but the name of the student in another grade. That 10-year-old, using the hack widely shared among students, needed less than two minutes to find the six-year-old's account and enough identifying information to log in as the six-year-old. All of the identifying information was located on the Palm Beach County School District's computer network. Once logged in, the 10-year-old had complete access to the six-year-old's schoolwork, teacher emails, chats, and classroom live video stream. Wow. Um, So, okay. That doesn't seem like that bad for a 10-year-old to be able to do. Like, what trouble are they going to get into with that information? But imagine having that power as a shitty teenager in high school. Oh, my God. 
No, I mean, there's so many people that would have that and use it so poorly. But, but I know I would never use it. I'd like be so guilty the whole time. I'd be scared that I'd be caught. I'd be like, there's some sort of tracking information. They're going to know I logged in. Like I am the opposite of a cool hacker coder. I would not be allowed into that cool club. I feel like this sort of thing does feel like it was common-ish when we were in like middle school, high school, where someone knows something about how the school network works, where if you like click on this thing here and open this browser, you can get to the games that they have blocked (laughs) super easily. (laughs) Exactly. See, I'd probably be even scared to do that hacking. I'd be like, I'm leaving the room. I don't want to be a part of this. (laughs) Oh, Casey, you were such a goody two-shoes. Like, that's coming from me. Like, I was like... Superly, like, annoyingly lawful good as a child, but wow, that's impressive. Coming from the kid who purposefully rode his bike into cushy areas, this doesn't feel great for me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I think, though, that it's only appropriate that we end with this soundbite of one of the most incredible 90s examples of hacking uh, that just came to mind. It's a very young Julia Stiles <laughs> on the PBS show Ghost Writer explaining to a fellow member of the student paper all about the internet. Do you know anything about hackers? Can you jam with the console cowboys in cyberspace? What? Ever read Neuromancer? Huh? Ever experienced the new wave? Next wave, dream wave, or cyberpunk? I didn't think so. I'll handle the hacker stories. All right, that's it for today. Join us tomorrow for whatever the world happens to bring us. And remember, no matter what Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana says, you do not have to wear a face mask in the shower. Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And tell your friends about us. Then set your alarm so you never have to miss an episode of News O'Clock. Where's Ralph? He's over there, hogging the hell of a good dip for his big game ritual. Oh, boy. Hey, Ralph, can we get some of that, too? Yeah, yeah, soon. Almost done. First the carrot, two taps and dip. Then the celery. Ah, yes, now the chips. All dipped in creamy, hell of a good dip. Mmm, delicious. Yes, it worked! Get the dip made with real milk and cream that wins every time. Not just good, hell of a good. Hello, hello. Hey, I don't know if you heard, but my podcast, Checking It, has been nominated for the NAACP Image Award in the category of Outstanding Lifestyle and Self-Help Podcast. I'm grateful for the nomination. I, I almost didn't even do a podcast because I was just wondering, there are thousands of podcasts out there and why is my voice needed? But a nomination from the NAACP lets me know that um, I made the right choice. And I encourage you to do, don't worry if there are thousands of something out that you want to do. No, nobody has your sauce. So listen, you can still vote. Go to vote.naacpimageawards.net. You have until February 5th, um, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And please listen to my podcast. We're a part of the Black Effect Podcast Network on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for checking in.
Mama, what does the chicken say? Uh, dog. Cat. Giraffe. Giraffe, really? Giraffe. Uh, giraffe. You're not going to get it all right. Just make sure you nail the big stuff, like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Get it right. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.